Good morning, everybody. Well, obviously, I'm not Keith. Oops. Wake everybody up. Everybody's awake now. Awesome. So, obviously, I'm not Keith. Keith is having fun with uh, young people, so pray for him. I told him to take some earplugs, but uh, I think he slept well last night because I think he sleeps pretty well at night. So, not sure about the boys, but I'm sure they're having a blast. But So, it's good to see you all. Now, most of you know that I'm involved in Jewish ministry. Now, the wonderful uh, thing about speaking to Jewish people is you have the opportunity to talk about Messianic prophecy. And as one, there's not many things uh, more powerful with the Jewish person than talking about prophecy. Now, if you speak to many of them, they'll say that Jesus is not the Messiah. So if someone said that you're not Andrew, but let's say that person says that that's not Andrew, they never met him. They don't know how quiet he is. You know, they don't know how shy. <laughs> but wouldn't that be crazy for someone to say, that's not Andrew, when I know that's Andrew? So let's say you, uh, you met someone, and they, and uh, here's another example. Let's say you haven't met uh, Phil yet. And the more, the, it's more likely that you'll know who he is if that person describes him in great detail. But you just say, well, I'm meeting Phil. What does he look like? Well, he's a male. Well, that kind of narrows it down to, to half of the people. But the more specific that person is in describing Phil, the more likely that when you see this person, you're going to know, oh, that's definitely Phil. But you talk to many Jewish people, and they say, well, Jesus is not the Messiah. But then quite often I'll ask them, so in your opinion, based on the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew word for the Old Testament, the, I like to say the Older Testament, instead of the Old Testament. Who is the Messiah then, based on your study of the Hebrew Scriptures? And many of them then are silent. They have no answer. So that I say, well, okay, now you're confusing me. Now I'm totally confused. Because you just said that Jesus is not the Messiah. And I asked you, okay, I, I, I accept that you don't think he's the Messiah, but then based on your study of the Hebrew Bible, what, a, what does the Messiah look like then? So in other words, how do you know that that's not Andrew if you never met Andrew? Now, if you know Andrew, you know what he looks like. You know all the character, characteristics of him. But the people that say that he's not the Messiah, they haven't, most of them have never done the research. So they're going by what their leaders have told them. And the leaders have told them that he's not the, that he's not the Messiah. So that's a, very interesting. So today we're going to talk about uh, one of the most powerful passages, I think, in, in, uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible, is Isaiah 53. Now, many people have come to know, to know Jesus as their Savior through this very, very, very powerful passage. It's incredible, and it's quite often we... In fact, one of our colleagues named Jeff who works in Brooklyn. Actually, he's only allowed to stay in Holland for three months because of his visa. His wife is Dutch, so she can stay there all the time. But he has to leave every three months. But when he's in Brooklyn in the summer, what happens is he, he had a stroke, didn't he, years ago? So he had a stroke, so half of his body doesn't work so well. He gets beat up a lot, which is it's pretty cruel, but he gets beat up a lot in Brooklyn but he stays his ground. He does not move from 
from where he is. He just stays there, and he, uh, and he gets people spit on him. And one day, he's handing out a tract that said, who, it was Isaiah, actually Isaiah 53, and it had the Hebrew scripture and the English. But it didn't say what passage it was. You understand? It just had the content, but it didn't say, this is Isaiah 53. And then the question was, who is this referring to? So one lady came up, and she was just so angry. She was just uh, fuming. She yelled at him, and she said, how dare you give out the New Testament scriptures? How dare you? And he's very calm. He's, he's been doing this a long time. He just, just kind of smiled at her. And he said, well, ma'am, then if it's from the New Testament, what is it doing in your Jewish prophet Isaiah? It totally floored her. She had no idea what to say. She, was, she, she went from like being real angry to just like you dump ice water on, on her head or something. And, but she was silent. He said, this is in your Jewish prophet Isaiah. Isaiah predicted this 700 years before the Messiah was born. Incredible, isn't it? So let's look at Isaiah 53. Now, raise your hand if you do not have a handout. Now, we have handouts in your bulletin. If you haven't looked in your bulletin yet, there should be a handout in there. Everybody see that? Now, in, in, in the book of Luke, Jesus was talking to two men going to Emmaus. Remember that story of Jesus speaking to those two men walking to uh, Emmaus? And he just kind of uh, started walking with them. And he said, what are you guys talking about? And the two men, Jesus had just died. People were upset. And they said, where have you been? You don't know what's happened? kind of funny what he did know was happened. He's Jesus. But they didn't recognize who he was. And then he got to talking to them. And the scripture said that he opened, I'll just read Luke 24 before we do as 53. Luke 24 says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how so to believe all the prophet has spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus gave these two men, walking to Emmaus after he died, who didn't recognize him right away. I think he, he was hiding himself from them. Uh, their, their, their hearts weren't, weren't open yet. But he explained to them from all of the scriptures who he was. So Jesus gave these, these uh, blessed men a crash course on Messianic prophecy. So which passage did he go to? Wouldn't we all love to hear Jesus' little, little mini-class while they're walking, uh, talking about himself from the Hebrew Bible? But it says in that, uh, in that passage, it says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So what comes first? Then suffer these things and then enter this glory. So many books of the Bible were written to people who were suffering terribly. Now many of you are going through suffering. I'll get the practical application up front and then scattered in my sermon and then at the end. Many of you are going through really challenging things. The book of Revelation, 
Do you know who the original recipients of the book of Revelation were? In 95 AD, they were asked to either worship Caesar as God or they would be killed. How would you like that? How would you like someone walking in the church right now and says you either worship this person as God or you're dead? Now, wouldn't Revelation be a great encouragement? Because who wins in the end in Revelation? Now, we, we peek at the end of the story, right? Some of you would never peek at the end. I do sometimes. It's terrible, I know. Uh, boy, I need to put this down, maybe. This is... If I put it down, is it better, you think? I have a loud voice, so hopefully you can still hear me. So, um, the, at the, if you peek to the end of the story, again, who wins before the, that loud noise? God wins. Who loses? Where does Satan go? Lake of fire. Where does the Antichrist and the false prophet go? Do you know they're the only two men that ever lived in the history of the world that go directly from living on the earth to the lake of fire? Every other unbeliever, every other unbeliever, when they die, they go to Hades. And then later on, when, they're, when they're, they're resurrected, they stand before God, they're judged, and then they go on the lake of fire, whose names are written not in the book of life. But the false prophet and the Antichrist go directly from living on the earth. They skip Hades, go directly in the lake of fire. Now, that would have been a great encouragement to those who are suffering, to know that God's in control. Things seem out of control. They're not. God's in control. And the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is written to the last part of Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49 to 66, written to Jewish people right now. Jewish people right now. Isaiah 40 to 48, written to the Jewish people. Isaiah went in the future, and he was writing from the perspective of the people in captivity. But then he jumps again in chapter 49, and he writes to Jewish people right now. And so this is an amazing passage. So I want you to look at Isaiah 52, 13. Look at how this starts. Now, Isaiah 53 doesn't begin in Isaiah 53. Now, when were the chapter breaks? Were there originally chapter breaks? Anyone know? No. no, so in the first century, what I, could I have said, so, Andrew, can you read for me Isaiah 53, 1? Don't read it, but just say if I said that. Could you say that back then? So how would you find it? How would you find back then the section of Isaiah that speaks of what Isaiah 53.1 says? They had no verse breaks or chapter breaks. So you would have had to know the book pretty well, right? Wouldn't it be incredible to uh, have that kind of knowledge? You'd be able to find it. So 50, chapter 53 begins at 52.13. Now the hand that Dad's going to do at the end, there's five verses in it. Hallelujah, what a Savior. It's a great hymn. Five verses. Guess how many verses this passage has? Stanzas. There's five stanzas. We have 15 verses now. What's 15 divided by five? Quick. Three. So there's three verses in each stanza. So the first stanza is 52, 13 to 15. 52, 13 to 15. We have the reaction of the nations. Now, in this five stanzas, the first stanza begins with Jesus. What is he in verse 13? You can switch the... What is he in verse 13? Look at how high he is, right? 
Now the last stanza, you'll see him again high. Now remember what he said in uh, Luke 24? What comes first? Remember we're talking about revelation. We're talking about if you're suffering, it's a great encouragement to know that after suffering comes, if you're a believer, comes glory, comes in something incredible. So for Jesus, what came after his, he was exalted first, but then stanzas 2, 3, and 4, which is Isaiah 53, uh, the first uh, nine verses of 53, that's like the middle part of this, this amazing uh, chapter, talks about suffering. So he's going through great suffering. And then what happens the last part of 53? Where did he, where did he start? Exalted, correct? So the last part of Isaiah 53, he ends up exalted, where he is right now. And you know we'll see him someday? Now, I tell unbelievers all the time on the street, you will also see Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you want to do it or not, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, that includes Satan, that includes the Antichrist, that includes the false prophet. That includes many people that spit on us and threaten to break my legs and whatever. Um, it's okay, but that, that, that involves them too. Well, it's not okay, but it's, that involves them too. They will bow. So everyone will stand before Jesus, but the ideal is to be in heaven. But at the end, we'll, we'll talk about what the gospel is at the end of my sermon. So for those who haven't made the decision yet, do not wait. Do not wait. Because remember, this passage, anyone know when this is written? 100? More. Should I go higher? 100 before, you, before Jesus lived on the earth. How many years? 700 years. Isn't that incredible? Only the Bible can do that. There's 109 prophecies. Some people go higher, but it's probably about 109 Messianic prophecies. One person estimated Stoner, Professor Stoner, what is, what's the probability of just eight prophecies out of all the people that ever lived on the planet? How many is that? I don't know. It's a lot. Out of all the people that ever lived, males, what's the probability of eight prophecies coming true exactly the way the, way the Bible predicts it? One person in one particular part of the world born in one particular city, coming true. Now, it was 1 times 10 to the 17th power. What does that mean? 1,000 is the third power. I mean, sorry about the math. 1,000, third power. Million, sixth power. Trillion, you get the I billion, whatever. You, you keep on going. So this is such a huge number that the same probability, if you took two feet of silver dollars, took a huge plane, dumped them on the whole state of Texas. Really big plane, right? And you fill it with silver dollars, and one of them you have marked with an X. Get it? And you're dumping, again, the number of silver dollars, is, and the, the odds of you choosing the correct one out of enough silver dollars to fill the state of Texas two feet high, you're marking one of them. And you have Samson with the big arm taking and stirring it all up. 
like you do cards, you know, you, you play cards, you stir them all up. Now, you're going to close your eyes, pick out one of them. What, what, what are the odds of you picking out the correct silver doll out of all that? It's the same odds of eight prophecies coming true out of all the people that ever lived. And when Stoner did this, it was a very conservative number. He checked, double-checked, triple-checked the number. Now, how about 48? How about 48? It's now one. The number would start here, and it would go all the way around the room. 157 zeros. One with 157 zeros. How about 109? No clue. In other words, this Bible predicts it's going to happen. It happens. So now in 13 to 15, you have this Jesus exalted. Look at how exalted he is. For a Christian, reading these verses, it's almost like walking down Via Della Rosa. What's that? It's stations in, what, honey? Yeah, it's in Jerusalem. It's stations where he went through different, where he carried the cross. So it's amazing. It talks about that he would be successful. Now, see. Now, when you have this word see, Isaiah wants you to pay particular attention to what's happening here. What follows now, or behold, is very, very critical. My servant would act wisely or succeed, prosper. He would be elevated, lifted high, and highly exalted. Now, if don't turn there, but later on, if you look at Isaiah 6.1, remember when Isaiah saw when the year that King Uzziah died? And the Lord, he saw the Lord seated on the throne. Remember that? And the Lord says, who will go? I don't know who else is in the room. Isaiah says, I'll go, but maybe no one else is there. I don't know, but I'll go. But he sees this amazing image, you know, uh, you know, the revelation or whatever. He saw the God on the throne. Now, this is God on the throne. The same terms used here for the Messiah. Interesting, right? Same terms used for God, used for Jesus, but he had one particular term that's added at the end, not used in Isaiah 6.1, and that says we'd be highly exalted. So he would be highly exalted. So he was at God's right hand before. Now, Jesus has always been God, is God right now. Some people deny it. Many people deny it, but they can deny it all they want. Just like you deny that God exists, but God does exist. He is God. And he became a man. Uh, and it says in verse 14, now it gets kind of ugly. So remember, it starts out being exalted. And then as we go, we have a lot of suffering that he's, uh, that he's going through here. So look at his, his appearance. Just as there were many who were horrified at the sight of him. Now why were they horrified at the sight of him? Let's keep reading. Horrified the sight of him. He was so disfigured, he no longer looked like a man, and his form was so marred, he no longer looked human. Now, before we go on, just keep it there for a little bit. Now, before we go on, one of my many goals for today would be not only for you to remember that suffering, suffering results in, eventually, glory. So that should be a great encouragement. It's like you're running a race right now. Beth and I run some, some marathons, and you have to be uh, combination determined and totally nuts to run a 
2-2, uh, why did I say 2-2? Two, two? Well, when you run 26 miles, that last 2-2 two, two miles is really difficult. But when you see the finish line, guess what happens? Sometimes in races, you're going around, like in Philadelphia, going around these, you know, these loops and all this stuff. And then some finish where you end up, I mean, you, where you start and end is the same. And then, of course, in Philadelphia, you go by the art, um, is it the art museum? Where Rocky, you know, ran up the stairs anyway. So when you see the finish line, your body shuts down after about 20 miles. So again, it's pure grit combined with just a nutty, you know, personality, I think, that gets you through it. But when you see the finish line, and you hear I the Tiger and all these songs playing, and if you have your name written on the bib, now bib is not what Andrew uses when he eats, right? This is, this is you know, with your, with your number on it. Sorry, Andrew. That's what you get for sitting there for I can pick on you. He can handle it, right? So it, if you have your name on it, people are saying, go, Andrew. Now, they don't know you, but they're shouting at you, and they're cheering you on. Now, that's a great encouragement. So that's what we need to keep in our mind's eye. Heaven is, is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? amen? You can say amen. You won't get in trouble, I don't think. But So he's coming soon. So now Jesus was suffered horribly. Now, anyone see Passion of the Christ? Hard to watch, wasn't it? By the way, Mel Gibson is doing another one. He's doing one for the resurrection. And we heard that no one wanted to pay for his movie. So I think he, who was telling us that the other night? You remember? Someone was. So he, was it to the Keith? Yeah, so he footed the bill himself. He paid for the whole movie himself. It did really well. But, but the movie, as hard as it was to watch the suffering he went through, it was a lot worse. I don't want to disturb too much, but, but the reality is when there was actually three types of flogging. The one, this fancy Latin terms that I won't say, but the, the, the one type of flogging that was the most brutal was leather whips embedded in the leather whips with very sharp objects. So we're not talking about, like, my belt. Don't worry, I'm not going to take my pants off. But we're, not, we're not talking about my belt. We're not talking about, you know, being hit with the belt. Now, that's bad enough if the buckle hits you, right? But if you're talking about very sharp objects that are embedded in the leather... Now, the Jewish people that were, you know, the floggers, if it was Jewish people doing it, they were limited to 40, so they stopped at 39, 39 lashes. Many people make a mistake and said, well, he was beaten 39 times. No. But these, the Jewish people flog him? No. Who was flogging him? Guess how much Romans care about Jewish law? Not very much. So typically when Romans were flogging, they keep flogging until their arms are tired. Because, you know, it's a lot of, and they usually would, would person's naked, and they tie them up on a, like a pole or something. So my second goal for you, now this is not to say to get you upset. This is, I'm going to say this to you, because I want you to leave so deeply in love with Jesus. If you didn't walk in the door here in love with Jesus, I want you to leave so deeply in love with Jesus that Jesus went through all this for me. I don't deserve it. I don't know about you, but I don't deserve that. I deserve to be in a lake of fire for eternity, which is where, where my sin would have resulted in. But Jesus took that sin upon himself, 
paid the penalty for that sin, which we'll talk about at the end. And he went through terrible suffering. Now, you can imagine if you have leather embedded in it, very sharp objects, what's going to happen when a person is, boom, you know, really beating on them? You're going to see the sinews. You're going to see the person's bones. Now, not even Mel Gibson, as talented as he is, not even Mel can show that. It was graphic enough as it was. You can imagine if you could see his internal organs. So why couldn't Jesus, who was very, probably in his upper 30s when he died, for his age, very powerful man, he was a carpenter, uh, which is a little bit wider than the term now. So very powerful. Why couldn't he carry the cross? Well, he'd been up all night, right? Six trials. Why couldn't he carry the cross? Many people died from that flogging. They died from that. So Jesus went through that suffering. You're going to see this on Isaiah 53. He went through that suffering because what was the result? What would result from that suffering? We're going to see this very clearly. This is really an incredible section. I think this will blow your minds when we're done. That he would see that many would be justified. We had this here. Many would be declared righteous through faith in the Messiah as a result of him suffering. So in 13, many were horrified because he, never looked, he didn't look human. Now let's keep going. In 15, so he would sprinkle, I think sprinkle is probably uh, the more accurate there, many nations and kings would shut their mouths, be speechless. They'll be shocked because of him. So they will witness something unannounced to them. And they will understand something they had not heard about. Well, so this would, it would shock many people. Now, the, 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 mosaic, in the Mosaic Law, the priests would sprinkle. So these many leaders in the future, when Jesus comes back, now the next event is the rapture. It's called imminent. Imminent meaning it could happen any moment. Now, in a future sermon, uh, I'll talk about this more, but the next event is his coming. Now, his coming is in two stages. Stage one, the rapture. The word's not in the Bible. It's clearly taught in the Bible. And then after that, after the rapture, there's a time of seven-year tribulation. There's a number of purposes for that. Again, that's another sermon. I'll each of these like three, four sermons. But, but then he's going to back Israel into a corner. See that corner back there? He's going to back Israel into a corner so tight and put them through such really difficult situation that the result is, is they're going to turn to the Messiah and the Spirit's going to come upon him. Now, many of these leaders, they're going to be appalled, appalled, like it says here, these leaders, these kings. Why are they speechless? Because they're going to realize how severely they miscalculated what Jesus is all about. Realizing their mistake, they'll have nothing to say. People thought that Jesus was suffering for his own sin, was he? No, he wasn't. He wasn't suffering for his own sin. He didn't blaspheme or whatever. But he would be, when he's exalted, they would finally understand and see clearly that Jesus did it for them. He didn't die for his own sin. Now, if you talk to Jewish people today, again, many, when you read this to them, uh, like if you, any, any uh, people older, um, remember, name that tune? Remember that?
There you go, see? That was easy, right? So if I, if I would say that my, my, my mouth is kind of dry, so I can't whistle very well, but sorry. I can't whistle like the, like the actual song. But name this passage. So I talked about earlier, if you just say to a Jewish person, I'm going to read you a passage. I'm not going to tell you where it's from. Where is it from? And they think it's the New Testament. Now, let's go back to that story. Why did that lady think that? And she got mad. She got mad. Why did she think that? Why did she think that Isaiah 53 is coming from the New Testament? Because it's so obvious that it's talking about Jesus. But most Jewish people don't read this passage. So it blows them away when they read it because it's, it's such a powerful passage. So here now we have uh, his suffering and the rejection. So if you look at verse 1, Look at verse 1. Now, this is Israel's confession regarding her rejection of the servant. So this is now the report of the death of the Messiah. So we're going to look at verse 1. And it says, Who would have believed what we have heard? And to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? So who would have thought that God would think to save the world through a humble, suffering servant? rather than a glorious king. Who would have thought that? The idea really is contrary to human pride. So now the speaker, if you notice the speaker now changes. God was speaking the first stanza. Now we're going to have Israel speaking. And it's the remnant within Israel that realizes now they made a huge mistake. They rejected them initially, but now they made a huge mistake. Because remember, Isaiah 49 to 66 is written to Jewish people that live between the first and second advents. And particularly to those of this here, I think the Jewish people that are alive as a result of seven-year tribulation, that we talked about the next event being the rapture, followed by a seven-year tribulation, and then the Spirit will come upon Israel toward the end of that, and then the second stage of his coming is the second advent. He comes. Guess who's going to be behind him on what horse, Paul? I mean, what? I gave it away. Shoot. What animal? I went to say, what animal? And Paula knows. What does Paula do? Deals with horses. So are there animals in heaven? Well, yeah. Yeah. Because Revelation 19 speaks of Jesus coming back, which ends the seven-year tribulation, on a horse with an army, an army following Jesus on horses. How do you interpret Revelation? Take the Bible at face value. It doesn't say something like a horse. It says a horse. So the horse is a horse is a horse or whatever. But So it is a horse. Now, so there are horses in heaven. And then he comes back, and then he, Jesus will reign for a thousand years. And who's reigning with him? Believers, isn't that great? The church, the bride. So here, wow, I don't know why it does that. I know, I have it pretty low, so it should, it's not close to my, it's about nine inches down. So. So, so we have here these Jewish people that are living that realize what's happened. They realize what's happened then to, with their view. And they're, they're, you give a few reasons why they failed to recognize Messiah in the past. So look at verse 2. 
verse 2. So Jesus did not meet people's expectations. Now, what's the most glorious, biggest tree you can think of? What type of tree? Oak, right? Usually people think of an oak tree. You've seen the ones in California that are, yeah, these redwoods? What do you have here? He sprouted up like a twig. Usually you would just uproot these suckers. In fact, some translations say sucker. Right? So uh, you, you would uproot, so it's kind of a double, I didn't even, that wasn't my brilliance to think of that double entendre, but they just, they just pull up the suckers, right? Because they're just draining moisture from the bigger. But that's what Jesus looked like. So why do you use this example here? Well, Jesus did not meet their expectations. You see that? He wasn't an oak, and he didn't look like a lot of the actors that were like really super handsome. Just looked like an average human being, so you wouldn't just naturally follow him because of his looks. So people were expecting him to overthrow Rome. He didn't do that. Jesus offered the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, which is when Jesus will reign for a thousand years. He offered that kingdom. They rejected him. He took that off of the table. And then he started talking about the church, us, right? So they weren't expecting that Jesus would die. They were looking for Jesus to overthrow Rome. Why did they say on Palm Sunday, what were they shouting? Hosanna, what happened then five days later? Put him on the cross. He didn't meet their expectations. So that's what it's talking about here. So the remnant here is not excusing people for rejecting the servant. They're merely explaining why the nation rejected him. So look, let's look at verse 3 as we go. So they failed to recognize in the past. And the Messiah, you know, what Jesus is too plain, they thought, too plain to be the Messiah. Well, we know that's not true, right? Let's look at verse 3. He was despised and rejected. Who was who he re- despised for? Who did he do it for? Why did Jesus go through all that in the cross? For us. So that's why that should lead us to be deeply in love with that. Now, there's something coming. What comes after suffering? You're going to see that in the last stanza. So this is now the second stanza. 52, 13 to 15, verse 1, or stanza 1. Now this is stanza 2. So the nation despised and rejected him. He experienced sorrows. He was the kind of individual when he was suffering that you wouldn't normally want to look at him. If people were like repulsed, like a leper back then. If you saw a leper, it would be like repulsive to people. It was really similar. The nation did not esteem him. They didn't think he was important. Of course, you know that's not true, right? Jesus, why does the name of Jesus cause people to become so angry? Many Jewish people, when I speak to them, if I say the name Jesus, they get really mad. Let's say you got mad at me, okay? Not that you would, but let's say hypothetically. Now, if he got mad at me because I said Jesus, and I would say to Andrew, and, and I always ask people for their name. What's your name? My, my grandma, who's a musician, said saying someone's name is like music to their ears. So use people's first names. So Andrew, I'm curious on why you're so angry. Do you think Jesus is, is Messiah? No way. No way. But, but typically, though, normally, 
he hasn't studied the Old Testament or the Hebrew Older Testament. So he says he's not the Messiah, but he's saying that because his rabbi has told him that. It's great to respect your rabbi, but we tell people, learn to think for yourself, right? Learn to think for yourself. Now, I'm curious, if you don't think he's the Messiah, why are you so angry when I mention his name? Could be. Uh, some people, they don't know why they're angry. Do you know when I ask Jewish people that? They're, they're silenced. They have no idea. I'm going to say it again. If they're so convinced that he's not the Messiah, then why would, I could say Oprah Winfrey is the Messiah, and would you get angry? No, you would just think that's nuts, right? At least I would think <laughs> it was nuts. But, so why get angry? You wouldn't get mad at me for that. So why get mad when you say Jesus' name? There's something about that name. I think they know down deep he probably is, but they're just trying to, they're kind of, they're, they're pushing him away. So people considered him insignificant, verse 4. Now 4 through 6 is the next stanza. Now this is the middle. Now how many verses did we say? Or five, five stanzas with 15 verses. Now we're on stanza 3. So this is now the center of the passage. You're going to see why it's a center. We're going to have some really critical things here. Israel's realization about the servant's penal substitutionary atonement. So he suffered for them. He paid the penalty for our sins by dying in our place as our substitute. So Israel states that he was punished, that he wasn't punished for his own sin. He was not. Now, next slide. So this, these, what's our experience? Grief, sorrows, correct? Transgression, iniquities, peace, healed. So when it says, by his stripes we are healed, it's not talking about physical healing. How do you know? Look at all these words. Transgression, iniquity, sin. So the context is clear here. What was his experience? What did he do for us? He bore what? He bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced through for our... He was crushed for our... He, the chastening... His chastening resulted in us having salvation and inner peace. Why do we have inner peace? Because we were enemies, Romans 5, we were enemies with God before. And because, you know, sin causes God to be, have wrath, Jesus took that hit upon himself, so now we have peace through faith in him. He was scourged, the scourging resulted in us being now, by the way, you're going you're gonna to hear people that use this for physical healing. And they're going to tell you that you have a right to be healed. Raise your hand, by the way, if you've ever seen a 140-year-old faith healer. <laughs> Raise your hand. Nobody? Shock. Shocking. God does heal. Amen? He does heal. But we don't all have the right to be healed. We will be healed eventually when we either die from eating too many french fries or, or we the rapture. Then we'll be healed ultimately. God does heal right now, but we don't have the right to always receive healing, contrary to what some people uh, falsely uh, teach. So he was bearing the judgment that their sin required. And when he was beaten, couldn't Jesus have stopped this? He could have stopped this immediately. Well, let's keep going. 
The next slide. So he lifted up our illnesses and carried our pain. That would be a, a metaphor for sin and the effects and consequences of that. Even though we thought he was being punished by God, a punishment for his own sins. And then in verse 5, he was pierced. Now look at that pronouns here. See the contrast between he and... Now many Jewish people say this person, the servant, is Israel. Doesn't make any sense. Can you see it doesn't make any sense? Because this person died. The servant here dies. Has Israel ever died? No. So it doesn't make any sense. He, look at the contrast between he and our. He was pierced or wounded because of our transgressions. He was crushed, and we looked at that first already. So verse 6. Anyone been around sheep very much? In the next slide. Yeah, anyone took taking care of sheep? Are they smart? They're brilliant animals, right? No, so sheep follow the lead sheep. If the lead sheep runs down the cliff, guess what the other ones do? They run down the cliff. So sheep are not really bright, right? Now, it's, it's using that for us. Don't take offense. I didn't write this, right? So, so we're, we're these sheep, and we've, this is what we've all done. We wandered off the path, and you know, we're guilty. We're guilty. The Lord made the servant the object of his wrath. Why? In order to take away our guilt. Amen? So now in verse 7, we have Israel's account about the servant's death. Now this is amazing now how exact this is. So this is the servant died willingly and for our transgressions, even though he is righteous. In the next slide, you'll see verse 7. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughtering block, like a sheep, silently before his shears, he didn't even open his mouth. Now, so we're compared to sheep in the last verse, because we're dumb. But Jesus is also a lamb, but it's not focused now that he's dumb. It's focusing here on he was a willing, he suffered willingly for all of us. Again, this should cause us to fall deeply in love with Jesus because he did that for all of us. Amen? So he didn't try to stop those who oppressed him. He remained, he did say a couple words, but the sense of this, he didn't try to defend himself at all. He went through six trials, didn't open his mouth. And he, was, he went through this because he knew what the result would be. Now this is the verse number or stanza number four. We haven't got to the exaltation yet. Look at how much he's suffering for all of us. Now verse 8. He was led away. He had an unjust trial. But as for his contemporary generation, who even cared? Indeed, he was cut off from the land of the living. Does this, did this look like it could be Israel? No. Did Israel ever die? No. It doesn't make any sense. Did Israel ever suffer and she was innocent? No. The, the, the Older Testament, the Hebrew Scripture is clear. When she suffered, it was normally the Lord spanking them on their bottom, right? Because he was chastising them. He was chastising them. So it, he was cut off from the land of the living, very clearly. So he had an unjust trial. I could spend a lot of time on this. I won't. But there's a lot of things about his trial. They met during the night. 
in the Gospels. That wasn't legal. They should have met during the day. They met in the high priest's personal home. That wasn't legal. They should have met in the, like in the court, in the actual official court, like at the temple. They had false witnesses. In Deuteronomy, it says, if, you are fal- if I false witness against you, and, I, and I, it's a false witness, and it's proven that I'm a false witness, guess what happened to me? Same thing that was happening to you. So this is pretty critical. So a lot of things illegal. So this was an illegal, uh, unjust trial here in verse 8. Now verse 9, we'll keep going. They intended to bury him with criminals, but where did he end up? In a rich man's tomb. But he was condemned as a criminal, assigned with wicked men. Wow. But because he had committed no violent deeds, nor had he spoke deceitfully. Now we finally get to the last, the last one. Now remember, it started out with the Lord being exalted, correct? Now we get to the last stanza. And the middle stanza talked about this critical verses about the Lord took our sin upon himself. That's what a substitutionary atonement means, that he took this, we deserve to pay for our own sin, but he pays for it, he pays uh, for us. We're glad of that. Now, the next, uh, next uh, slide. There was a purpose, wasn't there? There's was a divine purpose for the servant's oppression. Though it was the Lord's plan. Now, some say he, like, like he was pleased to crush him. God the Father was not like happy to, to have Jesus suffer. But it was his plan. It was his will to do that. Again, why did Jesus go through it? What would, be the, what would be the result of him going through this? Yeah, through faith in him that we would have salvation. So that was his plan for this to happen. So it says in the Gospels, Jesus says, no man, John 10, no man or woman takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. It's interesting. In the New Testament, it says God the Father put him on the cross. Acts 2, it's very clear. God, God's sovereign. Man willingly did it. I know it's hard to understand both of those. The Holy Spirit was involved. And Jesus did it willingly. He gave his life willingly. So the people that were spitting on him, the glands, the, the spit glands that, that coming from, Jesus created those, that person. The person that's spitting on him, and the wood that he used, who created that wood that he was crucified on? Jesus, God, who's created all those things. It says in, in some, one verse that in him all things cohere. So he was holding everything together at that time. So, but it, this ends up really good, though. How do you know, he, how do you know uh, he resurrected from this? Do you see the resurrection here? He will see descendants. I thought he died. I thought he was buried. He, he did. What does it say here? He would see descendants and enjoy. Isn't that cool? Isn't this amazing? You have all this in this one ver- in this one passage. That's why it's a pretty incredible passage, and the Lord uses this to lead many people to salvation. As we finish here, look at verse eleven. Having suffered, having suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied when he understands what he's done. 
Thy servant will acquit, acquit many or be carried, carried away their sins. Interesting, huh? That he would reflect on his work. And then one, and in verse 12, now we have the last, the last stanza. So this image here is a general who wins a battle, and then he shares his booty with uh, you know, the, all the, the stuff that they capture with, with the spoils of victory. Because look at what he uh, did. So why does God do this for him? See the word because? Because he, what's the first thing he did? Let's do it with me. He willingly submitted to death, number one, right? What's number two? Was numbered with the rebels. He wasn't a rebel, was he? What's number three? Lifted up the sin of many. And then the last one? And then the ne next slide. So we have, this is a great witnessing tool. And I really hope that you, as a result of this, fall deeply in love with Jesus because of what he's done uh, for all of us. Now, the gospel, there's many people that I talk to that know the gospel, but they haven't responded to it. So Jesus is God, he's man. But the key thing to understand, who is he and what did he do? Who is he? Man and he's God. What did he do? Died on the cross. He took the sin that we deserve, you know, punishing, being punished for our sin. He took the punishment, he took the hit for us upon himself. And we don't deserve it, but that's what grace is all about, unmerited favor. So our predicament was we were separated from God. That's a predicament. Terrible predicament, right? Like you want the bad news first or good news first? I'm going to give you the bad news first, because that's what Romans does. The, good, the bad news is our predicament is terrible. The good news is, second P, is a provision. The provision is that what did he do, and who is he? He's God, he's man. What did he do? Died, rose again. He was a substitutionary atonement. Now, third P, profession, genuine profession is, what's a response? What's faith mean? Well, if I offered to get to Andrew, you know, you could, you, could, you could acknowledge the gift is there, but until you reach out your hand and receive this gift, it's not going to benefit you, right? It's not going to benefit you. So faith is just, just realizing, you know, I, I want this gift. The gift is eternal life. So if you're sitting here now and you never have done this before, we're not going to ask you to raise your hand biblically. You're not having to come down the aisle or it's none of that. Biblically, it's simply, it's simple in some ways. It's not simple in other ways that you're placing your faith in Jesus who died, rose again, who is God and he's man. You place your faith. And if you do that, immediately you're in Christ and you have a lot of blessings. Because if you leave here and don't do that, thinking you have time, you could get hit by some wacko on the way home, and then you would be immediately in Hades, and then eventually in the lake of fire. Again, I didn't write this, but the Bible, God did write the Bible through man, and it is very clear what the destiny of people are who reject Jesus. Remember, the ones who reject him, they don't think they're going to bow to him. They are wrong. Everyone will bow to him. And everyone who will appear before Jesus is either going to be your savior or your judge. 
you do not want the, and when I talk about judge, I mean the type, because believers, we're going to be judged too. But our judgment doesn't result in condemnation. But an unbeliever's judgment results in, no matter how many people today deny this, they can deny it all they want, but the Bible clearly, clearly teaches a literal lake of fire. And it's horrible. I don't want my worst enemy to be there. So let's pray. And let's also contemplate and focus on what Jesus did for all of us. Because he did that for us. And remember, that if you're going through suffering today, which you might be, if you're not today, you could be going through something tomorrow, that what, what, what's our finish line? Because we're running a marathon now, maybe not literally running physically, but our life now, we're going to end up in glory. So can you get through this eating this gross uh, vegetable that you don't like if you know that we have uh, like unlimited dessert coming up? See the metaphor? I got you hungry now, didn't I? Unlimited dessert. That's heaven. This gross whatever you don't like, like a bunch of lima beans or whatever. That's like our life right now. So can you, can you get through the lima beans if you know this dessert coming up? Because the lima beans are going to be gone in a little bit. Is the dessert going to be gone? Again, that's heaven. It's going to be there for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for everybody here. Thank you for these brothers and sisters of mine that I love deeply, that we're going to be together someday in eternity. Thank you for what you did for us. I'm personally blown away every time I read this passage. Wow, what a passage. Thank you so much for dying for us. Thank you for taking this hit upon yourself. Uh, we don't deserve being in heaven. But thank you that through faith in you, who died and rose again, that we can uh, have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and we can be in heaven someday. So just pray for the ones right now that are going through difficult things, very challenging. Um, could be financial, could be relationships, could be all sorts of other areas. Help them just realize that a great eternity, uh, heaven is, is coming quickly. You, you are going to come back someday. Help us keep our focus on things above, not on things below. And we all said, Amen.